Okay. All right. Are you guys ready? Okay. All right. This one is a shorter time, but I need you to be here. I need you to be here. Okay. Because we're going to be figuring out what does this look like? What does this look like practically to be fresh air? Okay. It's all well and good, but what does it look like? So how do we continue then to walk by the Holy Spirit, to breathe in his fresh air, breathe out his fresh air. We breathe in his fresh air, we breathe out his fresh air to others. You guys, it's not by osmosis. Too bad. Too bad, right? It takes work. It takes time. It takes desire. It takes that you got to want to. And like my life verse, which is Philippians 3, 10, and 11, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of Wow, there you go. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship and sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3, 10 and 11. See, I want to know him more. It takes desire. You got to want to be fresh air. You got to want to be that. You got to want to know him personally. And then move to passionately, and then move to powerfully, and then move to preeminently. That he's over your life, he's over your thoughts, he's over your decisions, he's over your family, he's over your marriage, he's over your ministry, he's over your career, he's over. He rules over. You want to please him more. You want to become more and more like him and less like your? Well, that's so good. And less like your putrid selves. Do it again. You want to become more and more like him and less like your? Excellent. Less like our putrid selves, right? And here are the two ways you can do that. One, you read great books. Two, you pray great prayers. It's as easy as that. One, you read great books. Two, you pray great prayers. And as you purpose to read great books, the greatest book of all, the B-I-B-L-E, right? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Right, Bible, right, absolutely. You teach junior church, come on. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Say it again. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The living, active word of God that will transform you, that will conform you to the likeness of, your son, of his son, of Jesus. The greatest book of all, the Bible, that must be your ultimate guide. And it's the only book as you read it, it reads you. It reads you. So let me show you this photo. Here's a great photo of a Bible that's absolutely falling apart, right? A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. That looks like my mom's Bible. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. The voice of God is a friendly voice. The voice of God is a friendly voice. No one needs fear to listen to it. You don't need to fear as you're listening to it. Unless you've already decided to resist it. Unless you've already decided to resist it. See, God is not silent. He's never been silent. It's the nature of God to speak. He spoke creation, and it's, been, and it's so. And the Bible is the inevitable outcome 
of God's continuous speech. It's the infallible declaration of his mind put into our familiar human words. God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, he wrote it. He wrote it. He carried along the apostles and the prophets in the Old Testament and New Testament, and he wrote it through their personalities to write down his words. And our lives are transformed as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate on it, as we daily choose our non-negotiable face-to-face time with Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's pretty much all the time, isn't it? It's pretty much all the time, right? What? To mentor. To mentor someone for conversation, for the object of serious study. Why? Because there's power in his written word. There's power in his written word. Those who read the truth are more likely to live it out. Those who read the truth are more likely to live it out. Did you know that every single king of Israel was required required by God's law to write every word of the law on a scroll before they took their place on the throne. Every word, every word of the law, that's in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, required to write it down. Joshua, the guy who came after Moses, right? Joshua read every word of God's law out out loud to the entire assembly of Israel. In Joshua 8, it says, Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. He read all the words of the law, the word of God. Peter, in the New Testament, Peter urged Christians to read the letters of Paul, to read the words of God. That's in 2 Peter 3. And then there's my mom. Then there's my mom who read and studied and meditated and shared and chewed on his word. And she lived a life of overflowing fresh air. Fresh air in, fresh air out more than any other person I have ever known. God's word radically transformed her. Radically transformed her. And I, as her daughter, am the beneficiary of that changed life. In fact, in uh, my first book, Here Called Unwavering, I dedicated it to my mom. It says, to my mom, who gave away her life so I could find mine. It's called Unwavering, Learn to do your next, Learning to Do the Next Right Thing in Your Walk with God. Let me just tell you a little bit 
while mom was this fresh air. Mom, it all started with mom. I know what you're thinking. Well, of course it did, Margo. After all, she carried and birthed you. During my birth, I was already in trouble. My umbilical cord was tightly wound around my neck. As the obstetrician went into rescue mode, my mom trusted God for the outcome. She proclaimed a verse she had committed to memory from King James Version. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Proverbs 17, 22. That's who my mom turned to first. God and his word, the Bible. No matter what life circumstance bumped into her, instead of the normal crying out in physical pain during labor and delivery, she cried out to her personal God. Later in life, I thought, how odd that that was the verse spoken over me. I would rush to a portion of scripture to help or comfort me, like, do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Out of Isaiah 41. But no, mom's focus was on me. This little baby she hadn't met yet, but whom she loved with all of her mama's heart. She prayed for me. She didn't pray for her welfare or for the easing of her pain, but for her child's heart. She prayed that through all the turbulence of breaking into this world, my heart, mind, will, and emotions would be blessed by the one who'd created me, the one who had already ordained every day before even one of them had come to me. My mom. She read the word of God. She was incredible fresh air to all those around her. And she also made it a point of reading a good Christian book. A good Christian book along with the Bible. Why? Why did she do that? Because here's what good Christian books will do. They will inflame your heart. They will inflame your heart. My desire to read the book called Prayer That Works by Jill Briscoe was fueled by Jill's passion, her passion to pray big prayers and then to wait expectantly in God's waiting room. And that's the best waiting room you could possibly be in. I remember her saying in that book, there are two things, you can tell God anything, but there are two things you can't tell God. You can't tell him how, and you can't tell him now. You can pray and pray and pray, you can tell him, but you can't tell him how, and you can't tell him now. I remember my desire to read The Liberty of Obedience by Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she is the wife of Jim Elliot, who died uh, at the Alka Indians as he was ministering to them as a missionary. Elizabeth and her daughter went back and ministered to them, and they came to Christ. Liberty of Obedience by Elizabeth Elliot was fueled by her passion to be free no matter what. In obedience, that didn't make sense to me. But you're free in obedience, and I wanted that freedom. The next thing that Christian books can do for you is it will develop your skills and habits. It will develop your skills and habits. My desire to walk with God as a family caused me to read another book by Elizabeth Elliot called The Shaping of a Christian Family. The Shaping of a Christian Family. I wanted to be like that Christian family. And my desire to love my husband the way he would feel loved caused me to read The Five Love Languages. How many have read that by Gary Chapman? Gary Chapman, okay, The Five Love Languages. Wouldn't you know, my husband's love language is acts of service. <laughs> Mine is words of affirmation. 
piece of cake. Send me a card. I'll keep it for days. I'm happy, happy. I feel loved, 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 loved. I send Brian a card. He's like, um, do we have dinner? I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you. Acts of service, acts of service. That's right. Okay, how many of your husbands are acts of service? Do you find that out? Yeah, okay. I'm with you, girls. I'm so with you, girls. All right? The next thing that Christian books do is they will heal your soul. They will heal your soul. I remember reading this book by Chip Ingram called God as He Longs for You to See Him. God as He Longs for You to See Him. It brought me to my knees, to my knees, as I saw myself fully accepted by God in Christ Jesus. And that set me free. That set me free. See, the Bible and great books using Scripture have profoundly changed me profoundly changed me, taught me huge, huge life lessons. And these books have helped shape my perception of God, helped my confidence in the Bible, helped my marriage, helped parenting. I remember uh, one book called Shepherding a Child's Heart that I read when, when, we, when the kids were little to learn to teach them how to shepherd their heart, to shepherd their heart as they were growing up. And it helped so much. It helps the ministry. It helps relationships with others. It heals your soul. See, if you took away these lessons that these books have given me, I would not be keeping in step with the Spirit and experiencing His presence in the fresh air that I breathe. I will never, ever regret pouring over God's Word and Christian books. And you won't either. You won't either. I want to give you one word of caution. Make sure that the author's life and lifestyle lines up with God's word. Lines up with God's word. And that he or she uses God's word as absolute truth. As absolute truth. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You certainly don't want to fall into a trap of any type of false teaching or any kind of deception. So, how do we continue to be fresh air? We read great books, and what do we do? We pray what? Great prayers. We pray great prayers. Have you ever, ever been in the presence of someone praying that knew God at a level that you had never experienced? Okay? Someone who spoke to God with great authority as though she actually expected God to do what she asked. Let's watch this video. You've done it again, Lord. You've done it again. You are good and you are mighty and you are merciful. 
and you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are Lord. Give me another one, Lord. Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world, that will not compromise when under pressure, that will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees, who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle, that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Do you remember Clara? That's Clara in War Room. How many saw War Room? Right, if you haven't, watch it again, watch it again. Right, that's Clara, mighty, mighty prayer warrior God. Notice needs were laid out. The needs were laid out. An acknowledgement of God's unlimited resources. He was doing it. He was doing it. He will do it. He will do it. And appealed to the promises that God has made. And she continued to battle on her knees. See, witnessing that intimate fellowship with God made my heart long for that as well. The secret weapon, the secret weapon of power. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. Prayer is first. Prayer is second. Prayer is third. Prayer is last. My mom, my mom prayed great prayers. Let me read just a little excerpt from her life. I used to think, even though I knew it was impossible, that if God could have picked a wife, it would have been my mom. As I approached my college years, my own wisdom seemed so much better than mom's or God's. It was so much more fun. I'd always heard my pastor, Sunday school teacher, vacation Bible school helper, youth for Christ today, called crew leaders, share the same godly wisdom, but my way seemed so much better. That was the problem. It only seemed better. I should have heeded God's wisdom, but instead I declared to all those around me, I got this. 
The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice, Proverbs 12, 15 says. I definitely played the fool. So onward I coursed my way, proclaiming, I got this. Even if I was sinking or stinking it up, I'd push ahead full speed. All the while, my precious mom prayed, Lord, don't give Margo any peace until a piece of Jesus rests in her. So God was on the hunt to capture my heart as she had prayed even before I was born. The hound of heaven, Jesus, always pursuing me, always coming after me, always wanting me. It was I who continued to avoid, evade, and keep on the wrong road for years. Thankfully, he never gave up on me. Actually, he can't. He's God. It's not his nature to give up on us. And mom prayed on. Throughout my college and young adult years, I was full of defiance, disrespect, and disobedience. Her faithfulness to God's promises never wavered. And God heard her cry. Not in her timing or in her way, but nevertheless, she clung to his promises. Mom stood on them. She knew that he, God, doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to know him. And he will do whatever he needs to do to go after you, to have a relationship, because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he wants you to have God's best in your life. And that's a relationship in Jesus where the Holy Spirit then comes to live in you and is your breath of fresh air. I remember she told me, she said, to you, Margo, even if I didn't see you come to know him before I moved to heaven, she said, I know God. I know his character. And I know his promises. And I will see you at his throne. See, praying great prayers moves you into holier ground. Into holier ground. See, God has given us an invitation to bring our thoughts into his throne room. And Jesus articulates that invitation in John 16, where he says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be made complete. Imagine if we believed that promise even a tiny little bit, even a tiny little bit, receiving whatever we ask in his name based on his merit. It's not based on ours. It's based on his merit. It's based on our relationship with him. It's his merit. It's not us. What an amazing offer. It's like we have this like spiritual credit card, okay, with Jesus' name on it that's only recognized at the Father's storehouse, right? And so we have this spiritual credit card where there's like an unlimited supply. And then our charges would fit with his purposes. Our charges would fit with his purposes as we used it responsibly. So we're implored to pray these amazingly great prayers, when I used to be in the ad agency in the corporate world, we had this saying, we would talk about BHAGs. Do you guys remember what a BHAG is? Big, hairy, audacious goals. BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goals. Now, 
I have behaps. You know what that is? Big, hairy, audacious prayers. Big, hairy, audacious prayers. That's a great, great thing. Because look, great prayers take the person, the program, and the promises of God seriously. Great prayers take the person, the program, and the promises of God seriously. When we pray great prayers, we actually think God means what he says. We actually believe his promises. We actually become promise-centered, not problem-focused. See, problem-focused prayers look like this. We're, we're praying for some serious stuff. Let's say we're praying for like a wayward child, or we're praying for a financial crisis we're going through, or we're praying for God to walk us through this marriage. It looks like it's failing. Or we're praying um, because you had a cancer diagnosis. And you're praying in an attitude of faith. But soon, soon our prayers turn into this worry session where we tell God how upsetting all this stuff is. We tell him how upsetting it all is and how we're not, quite frankly, happy with your delays in this God. And so we start telling him, look, I have been really faithful. I mean, I've been going to church. I came to Spring Refresh. I'm going to Bible studies. I mean, I gave in the offering. I tied at church. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm doing non-negotiable. Margo says non-negotiable, face-to-face time every day with you. I mean, uh, God, look, look at me. Look what I'm doing, right? And meanwhile, we're so absorbed in our problems, which seem then to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And what does God do? He gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to us, to us. And we've totally, totally lost the power of his promises. Let me just give you some examples. Here's a problem-focused prayer. Like, uh, God, you know what? We're, we're not going to have enough for tuition, and you're clearly the one who led us to this university. The promise is in Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, my God will meet all your needs. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's provider. It may not be in the way you're accustomed to, but he will provide. He's going to meet all your needs. Promise, the promise of knowing the promise and praying the promise back to him. Not problem focused. Here's another one. You know what, God, I'm really overwhelmed um, with what's going on at work and with all this COVID stuff, and I'm, I'm just not sure how long I can hang on. Here's the promise. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is Paul speaking. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In the flesh, we can't. He doesn't expect us to do it in the flesh. But through the Holy Spirit power, you can. And that's what he's telling you. In your weakness, in your, my weakness, your grace is sufficient. Here's another problem-focused prayer. You know, God, I just feel all alone. I don't want to go through this by myself. I don't want to go through my life by myself. I don't want to go through this trial by myself. I just feel all alone. 
But his promise says in Matthew 28, and surely, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You're not alone. You're not alone. This is the promise. Look to me. Change your focus. Look to me. And if you feel unloved, look to Jeremiah 31 through. You're loved with an everlasting love. You're never unloved. And you pray the promise back to him. And it changes you. It changes you. You become this breath of fresh air. Here's the last one. Problem focused. You know, I'm never going to be able to forgive my stepmom or forgive whoever, fill in the blank, for what she did to me. Just fill in the blank. I'm never going to be able to forgive whoever because of what she or he did to me. Here's the promise. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. There's the promise. See, one of the greatest barriers to praying great prayers is forgiveness. Is forgiveness. Jesus taught that we are to forgive. We, we forgive, and he forgives us. We ask the Father to forgive as we forgive others. As we forgive others. Notice the promise of forgiveness is linked to the condition of forgiving others. See, if we really, really, truly believe God's word, we can take promises like this one and the conditions that go along with it seriously. That means that if there's bitterness in your heart, right, what happens is you have to deal with it like we talked about in the first session. Or you're not going to be able to pray great prayers. Right up to the throne room. He bends his head. It's like incense to him. He can hardly wait to hear from you. He's always, always at the ready. Great prayers bring our biggest needs and most difficult struggles to a willing and loving God on the basis of his character, on the basis of his promises, on the basis of his character, on the basis of his promises. It's not characterized by our wishful thinking. It's not characterized by an emotional mountaintop moment with God. This is all based on who he is. And praise God it is. It's based on who he is. That's why we need to know his character. We need to know his promises so we can pray this back to him. So we can join him in what he's already doing. What big need do you need to bring to God today? What promise do you need to stand on? Because great prayers take us out of our comfort zone. Great prayers take us out of our comfort zone. As we courageously pray, what happens is we boldly insist that God, live up to your name. Live up to your name. Live up to your character. You can't break your promises. You're God. We know we have no right to, like, demand anything from God, but our prayers aren't about our rights in the first place. It's about him. They're about our self-revealing God and his attributes and his promises that he tells us, Margo, 
Stand on those. Margo, rely on those. Rely on those. Those are my promises. Rely on those. Stand on those promises. Remember how boldly Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, he boldly went before God. God had told Abraham that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed because of their absolute wickedness everywhere. And Abraham got confrontational with God over the unfairness of sweeping away the righteous, those who know you, along with the wicked. And he says this in Genesis 18. I love this. He says, then Abraham approached God and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare for the place of the sake of the 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Whoa. Abraham called a timeout with God, didn't he? He's like, okay, timeout, God. Timeout, God. And he argued that the righteous were getting a raw deal. And that wasn't innate in your character, God. That's not innate in your character. That's not who you are. And God, you need to live up to who you are. It had nothing to do with Abraham's merit and everything to do with God's. Abraham knew God. Abraham knew his character. Abraham knew his promises. And he knew that God knew him. See, the only way that you can pray these courageous prayers is if you know God. If you know him and you know his ways. That means you need to be in the word. As he speaks to you, as he speaks to you, then you have every right to pray tenaciously, to pray boldly. Abraham knew a righteous judge would be righteous. So he kept asking God, Five times he pressed the issue, and God reasoned with Abraham. Abraham. Abraham kept asking over and over again, what if 45 are found righteous? 40? How about 30? How about 20? What if 10? What if 10 are found righteous? And God said he would not destroy it if only 10 people would be found righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. How amazing to think that our prayers can move the hand of God, can move the hand of God, that he would reason with us little dust balls. But we need to know him. We need to know him. We need to know his character. We need to pray his promises back to him. God absolutely loves that. He loves it. That's what intercessors do, and God honors it. Honors it. It's a powerful place to pray from. Have you prayed like Abraham lately? The test of real praying is when you don't see results and you continue to persevere. You continue to keep on keeping on, keep on keeping on. You can only do that when you know your prayer fits God's character, just like Abraham knew. Great prayers. Ask the improbable, expect the impossible, and receive the unthinkable. They ask the improbable, they expect the impossible and receive the unthinkable. And that can only be attained through Jesus Christ, our high priest, who blazed a trail for us so we could come into a relationship with God the Father and boldly come 
to his throne of grace. Hebrews 4 tells us that. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our standing before God and any power that we have to move his hand is based solely on Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. The favor God has placed on Jesus is greater than any impossibility that you can think of. What have you called an impossibility in your life? What have you called an impossibility in your life? I remember crying out to God that I don't have the answers for our youngest daughter. I don't have them, God, but I know you do. I know you do somehow, some way, because your promise is nothing is impossible with God. So I know that you have them. And I would say, God, if you don't do this, God, it can't be done. If you don't do this, it can't be done. And so I'm waiting on you. If you don't intervene in Tori's life, your timing, your way, it can't be done. And I'm going to continue to battle on my knees. And as I got to know him more and more, my trust increased. And he asked me to fall back, just like in that video. And I could fall back into his arms. Even when I didn't see anything was there to catch me. I would trust him. And I would fall back as he has never failed me, and he never will, because he's God. My faith grew up. My faith grew up. I can live with the disappointments of life, but they don't define me. They don't define me. I can confess my worries or what-ifs, and if there's any bitterness or anger or complaining spirit, I cry out immediately to Jesus for help, and he's always at the ready. He's always at the ready. I read great books, especially the greatest book of all, because it will transform you. It will conform you to the likeness of his son. It says in his word that we've been given everything for life and godliness in his word, in his word. You don't just do it once in a blue moon, but daily, moment by moment by moment of breathing in fresh air and exhaling fresh air to all around you. You become unshakable. You become unwavering. You become assured. You become deeply at peace. You're not alone, and you're never, ever abandoned. Remember our verse that we started with. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering. No second guessing allowed. Go out into this world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. After I close right now in prayer, we'll have a closing song by our worship team. Lord God, you have spoken and we 
are listening. And God, for those who don't yet have a desire to be that breath of fresh air, I pray that that would be their desire now. I ask that the Holy Spirit would continue working all this day, that there would be um, all kinds of encouragement and conviction, and that we would continue to hear your voice speaking to us, speaking to us exactly what we need to hear. And Lord God, if there's anyone, anyone here who needs to come to know you for the very first time, to know you personally, let them absolutely call out to you and ask you to come and live in them and to forgive their sin and that you're so excited to walk with you the rest of their days here and forever in eternity. And so Jesus, speak to us and pour a blessing, Lord God, over us. In your precious name I pray. Amen.